0: they're standing and they're applauding that dramatic performance by James Torvald and Christopher Dean.
1: Alex Philadelphia. Tai- it takes a lot to make him happy and he is clearly pleased. She's up, she's moving nicely, she's got it, out. Yes, has stable, 132.67, has won at least the medal, she's 0. 0.24 up UK. On the ice for <laughs> the Gimlo, <blindness> the Gimlo scoping, veces... These golden games have their crowning moments.
2: We're back on Off the Podium for a spectacular interview today as we get to talk to speed skating silver medalist from Beijing, Laurent Dubré, uh one of Canada's favorite Winter Olympians, uh, coming out of the last games. And uh, I'm Colin and Ben's here. Uh, we'll introduce yourselves. Hello. 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 Uh, Hello. <laughs> hello uh we're just gonna do that for that that's how the interview goes too so it was a great chat (laughs) one word answers
0: are you do you like speed skating yes did you do good at the olympics yes thanks for joining us
2: uh there'll be a little bit more to it than that uh if people are looking at the runtime of this interview they're like all right i'm tuning out now no it was a good one uh i'm looking forward to people hearing this because uh i think you get these athletes on there where you're so excited like i mentioned this interview like One of the top people, I'm like, oh, we got to have him on the show. And then you're like, oh, okay, well, they were decent. I mean, he's he's a really good storyteller. I think that uh, the most interesting thing for me in this interview, when people listen to it, is that uh, he really helps you get into the mindset of success and failure and what changed for one Olympics. Because the greatest thing about his story is that he had kind of one near miss after another until he finally ended up with a silver medal in the last
0: Olympics. And I love that story that he tells here in regards to that because – winning the silver in the 1000 in Beijing. He was expected to win a medal in the 500 meters, misses out by 0.03 of a second. And sort of the story he explains about how at the end of the day, he was prouder that he won a silver in the 1000 than if he had gotten one in the 500 meters, which is a, a great story around that. So... Yeah, it's it, it is a great chat. Only our third long track speed skater that we've ever had on the show. So um and our first Canadian long track speed skater. So there you go. Uh, we've had a one medalist? from three different countries. Yes. Our first No, we uh we had um Chad on uh from the US. Of oh course. yeah, that's right. So, Edric, yeah. Yeah, won a bunch of gold. So uh yes. Uh our second from a medalist. country
2: that matters though.
0: Yeah, well from a real country. <laughs> <laughs> Hello to all our Americans. I hope you enjoy this interview. <laughs>
2: But uh, yeah, listened uh, through this interview. I mean, we're going to start right off. You're going to hear about uh, how early he got into the sport. Might have been present sort of at an Olympics uh, many, many years ago and been present at other Olympics before he competed. But, uh, here we go. Here comes Laurent Dubré, Canadian silver medalist, long track speed skating, 1,000 meter. We are thrilled today to have one of Canada's speed skating superstars, someone who was uh, the talk of this country going into Beijing, and managed to come out of Beijing as the talk of this country. We have Laurent Dubreuil, speed skating superstar, like I said, Olympic medalist now, uh, and speed skating royalty. Uh, I guess uh, we could check a lot of boxes there. Laurent, thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure
2: yeah we usually like to start off these interviews by asking people you know how did you get into the sport but i mean it takes about five seconds of researching you to realize you may not have had a choice you may have you know basically <laughs> been pushed home out of the hospital uh on speed skate so you want to tell us a little bit about your background in the sports because really you you do come from i guess uh canadian speed skating uh royalty family
1: yeah both my parents happened to be olympian in speed skating as well uh before i was born so uh I guess it was only natural for them to, um, you know, have their kids learn how to skate. Um, and, but contrary to what you said, we did have a choice. The only rule at our home was to, you know, you need, we needed to play a sport winter and summer, uh, whatever it may be. So we tried a bunch of different things, but maybe because speed skating was what I was good at, but speed skating was what I loved the most by far. So to me, as soon as I picked it up, I never, I never wanted to do anything else and yeah, we played other sports in the summer, but speed skating was always my, you know, it was my first love and uh, it still uh, is to this day. I I actually believe you didn't
0: know your parents were Olympians and I believe that at about six or seven, when your mum was trying to give you advice, you actually basically told her to, to bug her off he didn't even think she could skate uh, I mean <laughs> h- at what point did you all of a sudden get the little sit down and go no like Sam, we've got something to tell you mum and dad went to an Olympics
1: <laughs> yeah well like you said my you know like that's pre-internet and everything when I grew up in in the 90s so I never seen my parents skate they didn't have races uh my dad had a few medals up on the wall in the basement but my mum didn't not because she didn't win any I think she just didn't showcase them as, as much as my dad did, but none of them were show-offs by any means. So to me, I was just, you know, part of a normal family with normal parents who they they, they weren't in great shape or anything, you know, they were normal parents, they weren't skating anymore. So it's not um, something I witnessed by my own eyes. So it took me a few years to, um, to actually understand what it meant, understand that they had been, you know, in the national team for many years, both skated the Olympics and Uh, To have one Olympian parent is rare. To have two is insanely rare. And uh, to me, it was just always a given. So, um, yeah, like you said, when I was six or seven, my mom was trying to teach me how to. I I even thought that she didn't know how to skate. Um, (laughs) This is important. Yeah, because I'd never seen her skate. So she was like, Yeah, you don't even know how to skate, mom. Like, "What, what are you talking about? And she was, I think she was maybe. I think she maybe realized that she should have, or that she could start talking about her skating more because we loved it as kids, my me, myself, and my bro- brother and sister. So um, I think growing up after being, you know, like young children, teenagers, they were talking about it more and we're getting more serious into skating. And then we realized that we were from um, maybe a, bit, a little bit different family from most other skaters my age. <laughs> this is
2: the part where Ben and I start to feel old because when we start to do the math on, you didn't know your parents were Olympians. It's like Calgary, Albertville. <laughs> Did you, I'm guessing you had no opportunity to, to be present, even if it's like a vague memory in the back of your head for any of the races.
1: No, I was born right after my mom was actually pregnant in the stands in Albertville when my dad was skating his his last Olympic races. So, oh. I was so you were a spectator minus... before you were an Olympian. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. At minus (laughs) five months old or something like that. I was in the stands though, uh, but obviously I don't remember any of that, but, uh, I I guess it's going to be way different for, you know, my daughter who's three now she's going to remember me skating and, and something that I didn't realize at the time, but now having made a career in skating, I I really wish I could have seen my parents skate. Um, And I'm glad I'm able to share that passion with them, but, To have been able to live it at the same time with them would have been awesome. But I guess, you know, in the 90s, uh, speed skaters really did not make enough money to support the family and a a child. So as soon as I was born, they had to stop and find some uh, real work, if you will. But uh, I'm lucky enough to be in a position where I didn't have to make that sacrifice for my kid and I can um, keep skating while being a dad.
0: I'm intrigued. You mentioned about having to do summer and, and winter sports growing up. What what was the summer sport and was there other winter sports? I mean, you know, as an Australian, <laughs> I assume just all Canadians play hockey at some point in their life. So, I mean, uh, I don't know if that was a uh, part of the, the winter sport program as well.
1: Yeah. Well, um, winter was always skating because I, I started skating when I was four and I never gave it up. And we played a lot of hockey, you know, outdoors for fun with kids, but never in a organized uh, team because We were three kids. My dad was working a lot, so it it was already a lot of um, responsibility for our parents to bring us to to speed skating training. And it was usually three different trainings because we were on three different um, ice times and and groups. Uh, So it's a lot of, uh, of work. So there was only one sport, but yeah, I loved hockey. Like any, like you said, any Canadian kid back in the day, I would watch it on TV all the time, and we would play outdoors. Uh, like in the street or in the local rink outdoor um, almost uh, daily. Uh, and in the summer, was the sport I played most was soccer. I played soccer for eight years, from eight till fifteen or something like that. And uh, um, I also played, uh, you know, like tennis, table tennis. I did track and field, basketball uh, for fun. Uh, but a lot of hours playing basketball one on one against my brother in the driveway. So you know, like we were very very active and um we had time to play video games too but it was always when we were too tired after playing three hours of sports you know like sports was our go-to all
0: the time that's that's good to hear which i've got to ask being from quebec you you would have been born around when the nordiques were around as well so being from quebec city so do you grow up in a nordiques <laughs> household and then switch over to, to to the abs or are you sort of a, a abs. habs fan
1: well you know like I was three when they moved, so I can't say I remember, but both my parents are from Montreal, even though we grew, all grew up in Quebec City and I was born in, in Quebec City. Uh, but they're both from Montreal, so it was always uh, Montreal uh, Canadians. Like my dad hated the Nord, the Nordic, like with passion. <laughs> so uh, I, I don't think I would have had a choice, but uh, the, the choice was made for me when the team moved uh, right before I, I started watching it. But um, I wish we still had a team, I think. It, from stories and old games and and that we can watch on YouTube or, you know, it was a great rivalry. It's a shame we don't have that anymore.
2: When you reach the point when you decide to get past just recreation, speed skating, and you want to get into this competitively, I mean, you said you had training practices and all that. I mean, did your parents get to participate at all in that? Did you uh,
1: get like pra- practice sessions, you know, after hours with them? <laughs> um, My mom did coach me for a bit when I was a teenager, but not as a private coach. You know, it's like it was mostly like, well, I'm driving my kids to practice, might as well coach instead of just waiting in the stands kind of thing. So, and she had coaching certification. She had experience, obviously, as a skater and as a coach. So it was was perfect. And she would help not only us, but, you know, the whole group. Uh, But they never tried. You know, aside from those few years where my mom was indeed one of my coaches, they, sh- they never tried to interfere much with with our actual coaches, even though for a lot of our young years, they would know way more about skating than our coaches did. And that's totally normal. They were high level athletes, both of them, but I don't think they, they didn't want to put the coach in a difficult position and they didn't want to give us more uh, support than what we actually needed because some parents can be overbearing a little bit, um, in sports. And, uh, I think my parents were really afraid of, of doing that. So, uh, it was mostly just, you know, have fun. And, um, the only thing that would like, that was a no-go was giving up early before the line. And I do remember actual races where as a child, as a kid, I would win and my dad would, I would come up to the stands and my dad would be like, Kind of angry or like actually he would be furious because i would have given up earlier like because i was sometimes winning by half a lap or something you know in short track growing up and i would show up and he would not be proud. He would be angry and sometimes um i would get beat and finish last or second last but i would try until the end and i would come back to the stands and he would be happy wow. and it's just driving home you know working hard and and also having fun was the only two things we needed to do basically and yeah, when I did start to get more um, serious and and higher level, then they were there for any questions I may have had. But uh, it was always me reaching out to them because they didn't want to give uh, you know be, give me too much, and uh, and then I would maybe get uh, sick of skating because it's it's too much, too much pressure. So there was always the right amount, and uh, that was actually very little when we grew up.
0: Was there a, a choice? or a time that a choice had to be made you sort of touched on short track and obviously parents both dabbled in short track and and long track did there come a time when you all of a sudden go okay now i'm going to focus on long track and were you doing both sort of in those initial years
1: yeah growing up in in canada quebec is like mostly skating short track like long track was outdoors back then and quebec city in the winter is uh not very pleasant let's <laughs> put it <laughs> this way uh like regular minus 20 minus 25 in january when we have the ice and so if, it's really not something that's fun for actually like neither the the skater or the parents freezing is ass off outside the ice you know so it's, <laughs> i think they would rather me skate short track when i was five so it was, it was, um, and then I would race short and long track. I would race everything, but I was skate only, um, you know, like actual training and short track up until I was 14. Um, and then at 14, I was still doing both and I was starting to get into long track a bit more. Like I thought maybe it was a bit more fun or more, um, it fit me a bit more as an athlete. And then at 14 and short track, I had two, uh, pretty serious concussions, uh, from falls um and of which like it was not my fault at all it was like another skater bumped me and then i fell and that's when that's when i decided you know like i like short track but i don't like the unfairness of it like when another skater bumps you and you fall and you hurt yourself and basically you did nothing wrong i didn't like that i didn't like the luck aspect of, um, of it and i like the the pureness of long track you skate your own race in your own lane the best athlete wins um, so I moved over to long track and then I really stopped, uh, training short track, except for in the summer when we didn't have long track ice, but as soon as long track, ice uh, opened, um, the, the next year, I, I was only on long track uh, until the end of the season. So that's when I was 15 is, is when I, I did the stop short track and I never regretted it for, for one, I'm much better at long track. So, um, just physically, you know, like short track athletes are very small, uh, agile, um it can be under like i don't know 140 pounds on average and i'm 195 pounds so i'm like basically oh. i like got two weight vests uh on top of me uh, compared to a short track athlete so i had zero long-term potential in short track so it was good <laughs> i switched at that age i think it was a good career move
2: that's funny because a couple of years ago we had charles Hamlet on the show and i asked him the same question like yeah, how do you decide from one and the other and his answer was essentially the same it's like you know, do you know what it's like outside? <laughs> <Go> back
1: <and laughs> makes it very easy to decide. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And now we have finally a beautiful indoor oval, which I hope a lot of more a lot more kids will actually pick up, uh, try and pick up a long track. But back then, it was, you needed to be a little bit crazy to go into long track. Like conditions were so difficult that um, you needed to really love it a lot. And I did, so I'm happy I switched. But it was it was tough in the winter for sure. Because it's, it's one of those yeah. things where it's it's such a facility isn't it
0: to build an indoor long track uh, oval you know it's not just a, a small facility to to do that there's a reason why in australia generally we haven't really had many long track speed skaters over the years because they're not <laughs> going to build one in this country so and for a country like canada where winter sports are a lot more dominant there's not that many facilities for them there either is there
1: no exactly we've had um four ovals ever um indoor ovals in long track one of them being the richmond oval for the vancouver olympics which is not used for long track anymore it's uh, there's like basketball courts and it's like a community sports center right now um if we did have the 2030 olympics in vancouver again they would switch it back to a long track oval it can still be done but right now it's not used for for long track skating Um, There's obviously Calgary from the 88 Olympics still and uh, Fort St. John uh, up in Northern BC and Quebec city. So that's at three rings, uh, three functional rings right now. So it's um, because like you said, it's such a massive um, rink and uh, obviously investment uh, to, to build. And I think um, you need to have a strong community, speed skating community and the population needs to, to, um, You know, get along with the project and I think here it's been a success so far in Quebec City there's hundreds and hundreds of public skaters every time and hockey skates and everybody can use it and it's actually really nice to share the facility with the the population like that.
2: I know some of your earliest success came actually through the the Canada games, which, you know, I've talked about a little on here. Um, when the Canada games were in Winnipeg a couple years ago, I was able to attend. And to me, one of the most fascinating things is you're sort of watching this thinking it's like, who's going to be the next Olympian? And really the whole purpose of the Canada games is to kind of get the young athletes ready for you know the commonwealth games olympics Panam games whatever it would be uh can you tell us a little bit about your experiences and you know what type of benefits came out of being able to compete at a younger age in an event that
1: size yeah like canada games is fun and i'll even uh rewind a bit more and say even include the quebec games uh, into the same uh, mold um and that you know it's multi-sport games and a world cup a speed skating world cup as the exact same skaters as the olympics exact same distance but there's only speed skating and to have a multi-sport games experience heading into the olympics i think is um is important because there's so much more going on there's so many athletes and um the, the, all the logistics is very similar from canada from quebec games to canada games quebec games i did that. 9 uh, 11 or 10 12 and 14 so even younger wow. and uh canada games and then olympics you know like you want to go see other sports but then you need to remain focused on your events you're sleeping uh, in a room uh, you share with many other athletes in an apartment or in a hotel room or whatever and you have meals at a cafeteria where you share it with people from other uh, countries for the olympics or province for uh, canada games and um it, it's really a, a lot of the same aspects and i think once you live or you experience the olympic games you realize how good uh, the organization is for canada games because it prepares you very well for the olympics and it's very similar in that uh, regard so it was for me it was 2011 in halifax and it was actually a very nice experience um, especially that my brother made the same team as my as myself uh, for the Canada Games, so it was a lot of fun sharing it with him and some of our best friends. I was skating with in Quebec. It was a really awesome experience. Which it's I've mentioned a lot to some of the winter athletes
0: who have had on from Australia that you know there is that aspect of not having a multi-sport games particularly from, say, an Australian perspective, because we in no way would ever have an Australia Games, let alone an Australia Winter Games. But it is kind of that uniqueness, as you touched on before, with a lot of winter athletes where you don't have a multi-sport games or a summer athletes would have a Pan Am Games, a Commonwealth Games, something like that. Mm -hmm. And I love that about Canada, how not only do you have a Canada Games, but then you have provincial games as well. I lived in BC and saw a lot of the promotion for the BC Games and Mm -hmm. learnt all about this sort of stuff that they have. So it's just something that, Really, I yeah, as you're saying, with everything there, warmed you up for it. Which, when you go to your first Olympics, is it kind of a case of ah, I know that I can go to the cafeteria now and and eat some cake with a with a ski jumper, you
1: know, things like that. You know, you're gonna have a good time with it. You're used to it. <laughs> yeah, I think first Olympics you don't really know what to expect, but then because of like I said, Canada Games and even Quebec Games before, but um, you kind of find your bearings quick. You know, like you find you you. You realize it's not that much different. It's just a higher level, older athletes, obviously, and and countries instead of provinces. But the, everything fits to what you've actually experienced before. So, um, and I do get a little bit jealous for summer athletes who get to have Pan Ams and Commonwealth and and all those kinds of multi sport games because they're they're really awesome to to be a part of. It's um, there's an excitement in the air when you when you compete but at the same time as everybody else from other sports and that's some of the magic of of the olympics and uh, unfortunately in the winter that's the only one we do have but uh every once every four years is is really cool to live and i hope i have a, a couple left in me still but we'll see
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, you really came on the radar at least here in canada during 2018 pyeongchang but i mean i know that you you almost made it for Sochi four years earlier. And I think one of the most interesting things whenever we have people on here where their first Olympics or what they thought was their first Olympics, they just miss out is like that, that crushing disappointment of, oh, is this going to be it? I mean, What was your mindset like going to Sochi where you were this close to actually making it? Were you thinking it's all right, you know, I'll be back in four years or were you like, okay, I guess that's it. Tried it and you know, maybe I'll give it another go, but this was probably my last shot.
1: Um, You know, it was, it was a huge disappointment. One of the biggest disappointments of my career still. Um, and be, because of the way my progression was going, um, 2012, two years before Sochi, you know, I was last year junior and I, I won the junior world championship in the 500 meters. And I was really a rising star uh, in skating. And I, I finished uh, even 11th at the, like the senior world championship, um, with every top skater in the world. And I was by far the youngest. Um, And then the next year, instead of getting a lot better, I got maybe a little bit better, maybe not. I finished ninth at the world championship, uh, which is two ranks better obviously, but most of my season was not going better. It was going slightly worse than the year before. And I think that ninth place made me think I was getting better. But in reality, I really was not getting better. I was getting slightly worse. And instead of being a wake up call, it kind of. uh, Made me like gave me the illusion that I was improving and made me keep course with what I was doing, even though it wasn't really working. So then the next year in 2014, missing out the games was brutal because, well, I I was I should have made it, you know, I was the two years prior I was top three in the 500 meters for, for Canada. And we had four spots at the Olympics and at Sochi. So I just needed to do the same thing I had done the last two years. And I, I was even worse and I didn't make it. So it was really tough, but I think missing out, uh, helped me in the, the long run because, uh, instead of giving, like making the games, finishing, I don't know, 10th, 12th, 15th, whatever, I would have been happy with it at 21 being 12th at the Olympics would have been good. and it um it would have given me the illusion again that i was improving but missing out entirely on the games um forced me to change a lot of what i was doing in training my equipment uh, what i was eating my my passion you know like how much energy and and passion i was putting into my training and i i really would not have been i went through all those changes if if i had qualified so it was actually good for me in the long run but in the when it happened, it was crushing. And I think a few people thought I was gonna quit, but um, for one, my, my, I still liked skating, and I knew deep down that I had a lot more to offer results-wise, and that I was a lot more talented than what my, my results in 2014 were showing. And I felt like I was kind of in, stuck in a maze trying to find the exit, the exit being, uh, you know, winning international medals at the senior level. And I knew I would find my way at some point, but I, I did not know when or how, so I was just stuck. And those changes I made following that non-qualification are what made, like, led me out of the maze and winning medals. So it was actually good for me, but it was extremely difficult when it happened.
2: It's actually fascinating because if you think about it, I mean, when you're going in your first Olympics, the excitement is I'm an Olympian, I'm going to get to be at the Olympics. So maybe the <coughs> expectations are like you were saying, you know, hey, I'll have I'll be happy as long as I place within here. But when mm-hmm. you basically what you're getting at, when you miss the first opportunity, you're like, OK, you got four years to win. Now you've set back four years. You don't know how many Olympics you have in you. Now it's like, okay, I really have to push. I, I I don't just want to show up next time. You know, I I want to be there and I want to be on the
1: podium and I want to be one of the top guys. Yeah, absolutely. And to me, like, it was tough because I, I overperformed what uh, any normal junior would have skated, you know, like uh, placing high results at the senior level when you're junior. It doesn't happen every year. So expectations were really high. Expectations from myself, but from people around me and you know like qualifying the games I would have tricked myself into thinking it's going all right where it really wasn't and I was lowering my expectations every year and lowering my um even my investment in skating every year and and failing like this made me come back harder in training and try like realize that I wasn't skating to finished 10th. I was skating to win medals and I needed to train accordingly. And it's what I did. And I guess, well, it took... Then the next year was when I won my first World Cup medals. So it really took six months, eight months, whatever time between one season to the next and I was on the podium. So um, I guess it would have been a better timing to do it a year sooner, but I needed that, that big wake-up call to uh, turn things around.
0: Is there also an element to it With speed skaters of, I mean, is there a peak age? Because, I mean, we obviously saw someone like Claudia Peckstein, was she 49 earlier this year in Beijing? Irene was 36 still, so still doing quite all right out there. I mean, you're talking about being, what, 21 going into Sochi, so 25 going into Pyeongchang. I mean, is it a case of 21 is not often looked at as a good age and you need to be a little bit older to maybe mature into the body or kind of peak at a certain age?
1: Yeah, I think i think it's pretty, it's um like people agree that usually late 20s would be your your peak in skating but depending you know like progression is not linear so like some people peak very early some people peak very late um like i, I first i was actually uh, in vancouver for the vancouver olympics uh, so i i was able to watch a, the 500 uh, and 1000 meters men in long track so both my actual events and the guy who did win in Vancouver, uh, Mo Korean, was 21, I think, on the day of the 500. He turned 21 the day he won the Olympics. And then four years later, he finished uh, fourth in Sochi and in Pyeongchang, he was like 20th and then he retired. So he peaked really early. Some people peak really late. Um, I- I've been having the best seasons of my career the last three years. So late 20s for me seems to be the magic number. But who knows? Maybe I'll be better in five years. Let's <laughs> cross our fingers. But i think late 20s is when you've figured out the technique and the training as you've accumulated enough training to be at your best but you're not too injured yet to not be able to do it anymore so i think it's the right age but it depends really for every skater some skaters speak early 20s some skaters speak early 30s even mid 30s maybe so uh, we'll see about me. But for me, it seems to be uh, late 20s. And for sure, 21, I was not expected to be at my best. But if you're making, you know, you're making the team at 19 for world championship, you should be making the Olympics at 21 still, you know, like that's it, it really was a bad season for me, but I'm almost happy it happened because it led me to have a, you know, like very good bounce back year after. And that kick started my senior career
2: you know, we, we have the world cup success and everything. And then you, you're, getting better and you're getting closer and closer to that top to get to Pyeongchang. And I always, sometimes I feel bad. I was going to say always, sometimes I feel bad when we have to ask people about like the disappointing parts of their career, especially when it comes to every four years in the Olympics, just a reminder, you have a happy ending to your story. It's coming up, but, but with Pyeongchang, you, you kind of dealt with a different type of disappointment. I don't know. Maybe you, maybe you didn't view it as a disappointment at the time. I don't know. But I mean, again, like being so close to a medal in Pyeongchang, I mean, if you want to kind of give us some of your you know experiences being able to be at the Olympics or Was your mindset more on, you know, I want this medal and I came this close? Or did you have the opportunity, being your first Olympics, to
1: really just enjoy it for what it is? Um, You know, like, I've always tried to strive for medals. And to me, competing is, for me, it's not enough. I mean, if somebody's dream is to skate the Olympics and he qualifies and then he goes out there and just have have fun. And he obviously tries everybody tries hard at the olympics nobody nobody just shows up but like just you know like lives out his dream tries hard but finishes 20th and he's happy with it fine I, I don't really don't judge people who uh live their olympic dream like this but to me it was always about winning medals so obviously showing up in in pyeongchang i had a I had won a world cup in the fall of the same season the olympic season and so i was you know like in my good moments i was able to win medals in that those days but uh, i had a really difficult two months leading up to it and uh, when i did show up to the olympics i basically i knew that it it wasn't gonna happen and so to me the way i approached it was i'm really not at my best i've been very sick and injured throughout that season and results were going downhill so i decided to um try to soak in the experience as much as possible. So when I would be back, I would be back better and I would know how to handle the Olympics in, in 2022. Uh, so that's really how I approached it. And I was able to enjoy my stay there and and enjoy. Like I said, I love multi-sport games and, and I don't need to skate good to enjoy it. You know, I've been a fan of the Olympics since I was a kid. So it was actually nice to be able to check that on my list, you know, like I'm finally an Olympian, but, um, to me, it was a learning experience. And I tried to, um, learn about like, look at the skaters who were performing and what they were doing. And for us, at uh, that Olympics, it was, uh, Ted Jan Blumen, the Canadian who won the 10,000 meters in Pyeongchang and the silver in the 5k. Um, so try to observe what the, the actual top guys were doing and try to apply that, uh, four years later um, in Beijing. So I, I, my well, Beijing was, went pretty good. So I guess I did succeed <laughs> in that way. But to me, it was kind of a frustrating experience to be there and not be able to achieve what I, I was working hard towards, um, because of, of a very tough season. So, um, but it did prepare me well for Beijing. So, um, I guess we, we did it, uh, the right way, but it was, it was tough being there without having my best stuff, uh, you know, for races.
0: Well, as Colin mentioned, you know, we don't want to always focus on the negatives. I love how you brought up there about the experiences of the Olympics, because we always love finding out from our guests, you know, the Olympic experience outside of competing. So, it sounds like you were able to soak some of that up. And obviously given Beijing was so different, I can imagine looking back at Pyeongchang, there was a lot of things you could do there you couldn't do in Beijing. So were you going off to different events Were you know, doing the pin trading, like I think McDonald's was still around in Pyeongchang was it? I can't remember, but like, I mean, these sort of things now that maybe uh, you couldn't have gotten away with too much in Beijing because of COVID.
1: Yeah, exactly. That was a very different uh, experience and, you know, like a personal experience for me much better in Beijing because obviously i meddled, but but um, a lot more fun Olympics, I would say pre-COVID, which is to be expected, right? Like uh, everything in Beijing was organized for people not to spread COVID, which was fine because catching COVID was, has been the worst nightmare for every athlete the last two years, especially leading up to events. Uh, like catching it in January would have meant not boarding your plane to, to Beijing, which would have been very very difficult to deal with so um we all understood why it was happening but at the same time you know it's still not fun like who's enjoying um a crowdless uh olympics like that's part of the the fun is to have so many people cheering and to have your friends and family over and you know my parents my wife would have loved to be there but straight up not allowed to just fly so to to go there so it was difficult but i was the right place i think to still enjoy it because i was i I was having such a good season my legs were good my training was going great uh, leading up to it so it was easy for me to stay focused and knew i had the job to do and um i had to stay like 100 percent sharp until my last race was done so um i think it would have been tough to live my first olympics this way because first olympics you kind of want to see everything there's to do, there is to see at the Olympics, but second one, I was good, good enough, I guess, to move past or see past the COVID um, lifestyle, I guess, and just focus on my own races. You know,
2: in between Beijing and our Pyeongchang and Beijing, particularly, I guess, the two years COVID years leading up to Beijing. I mean, you had just phenomenal performances in the World Championships and World Cups and everything. You know, the flip side of that being is that they're very shortened World Cup seasons for really all athletes. You know, what type of challenges or or maybe even benefits did it uh, present when you have so much shorter of a season to deal with leading up to a Games?
1: Yeah, what was difficult for me was we we were lucky enough in uh, 2019-20 to finish our season right before COVID hit um as COVID was hitting you know like uh, italy and france and uh, in europe we were finishing our season in norway and netherlands which didn't have any cases at the time so we were able to skate world championship in norway in uh, early march 2020 and then world cup final in netherlands in um, march 2020 again and those two races were really when i or those two events were really when i broke through uh consistently winning medals. And I was second at that world championship. And then the World Cup final, I won three medals in three events. And so I was on a high, I I finally felt like, okay, I I finally know how to skate. Like I thought I knew how to skate before, but it didn't feel this way. So uh, it was exciting. And then COVID hit, we came back to Canada had to quarantine for two weeks. And then training started on our own because gyms were closed, everything. So Training in my backyard with coaches on, on zoom for a couple of months. And it was challenging but motivation was really high because I had braced so good the year before to finish the season. And then training in the summer felt even better than the year before and I thought this year I'm gonna like sweep everything I mean I, I'm matter of speech but you know I was I, I thought I was gonna keep winning medals every race and and then in November, no, in September, they canceled the fall season. So four World Cups, many races, and they canceled it before because of COVID, which makes absolutely makes sense uh, based on, on how COVID was going back then. But to me, it was crushing because I felt like I was getting robbed of the best season of my career, you know, like the best season which would never happen. And um it was tough on motivation for a bit so i took a week off i called my coach i told him you know like uh what we, he said you know take a week off rest when you feel like training again just come back and i took a week and a half uh off you no know, like zero training just chilling we were yeah you know, i was living at my parents place at that time because we sold our house and we're waiting to to move to the new one so just like chilling with my dad and brother just watching the nba was the nba playoffs in the bubble in orlando and it was fun to just you know go to bed at 1 a.m watching games until it was over and doing nothing and after a week and a half doing that i felt like i want to train again and maybe there will be races in the winter so you need to be sharp but i was ready to train again and uh, I did start training again, and a month and a half later, they confirmed uh, a bubble of our own in the Netherlands. Uh, so, kind of like the NHL and the NBA did, for a month and a half, a bubble in uh, a hotel close to anybody else except skaters, and uh, straight from the, the hotel to the to the oval and back, and very safe. And for six weeks, that's pre-vaccine even, but for six weeks, zero cases of COVID in the bubble, so really, really wow. safe pretty boring though, because, you know, like we weren't allowed <laughs> to do anything. We were stuck in our rooms, but, um, it was actually nice because we felt like our sport was willing to put races for us, you know, like in a difficult time, it would have been easy to cancel everything, but we actually got races. We had two world cups and the world championship in that five weeks. And even though we had very tough training with COVID then. I probably should have mentioned that, you know, like the, the skating oval was not built yet in Quebec City. So it was off ice training. I barely skated at all th- that year. And I showed up to the bubble and my last time on skates were 60 days before the actual race. And wow. Uh, we showed up at, the week before and first day on the ice, second day on the ice, I feel amazing. And I feel like I'm picking it off right where I finished it the year before and I really can't explain it. Usually skating takes months and months of daily skating to feel good but it feel, felt good right away and in that bubble I was able to win many medals and I I ended up winning world the world championship so um, it's pretty incredible but at the same time I feel like you know like like we said earlier late 20s i know how to skate now it's like riding a bicycle like you don't forget and if you skate well and you know why it's easy to replicate and i just showed up there and i knew how to skate from the, the season before and i i just arrived and it was like magic uh, on ice which is weird but it just happened so it was it was tough because I felt like, you know, like those races, I was losing them, but then we got a lifeline in November when they confirmed it. And, um, it was actually a memorable season, although a short one.
0: I was going to say it's a secret there, Laurent, that basically you have some bit of time off you come coming, you win a world championship. So leading into <coughs> Milan, maybe have two weeks off rather than one and a half weeks off. And then that way that can push you forward a little bit further and then you'll get the gold in Milan. Yeah. I hope so. I mean,
1: we we did implement more weeks off in my training last year, which we've been doing this year again. So I think we learned from, I think it's, it's natural for athletes to want to train hard, but growing up now being older, more experienced, I realized that working hard is important, but what makes you good is how you recover from that hard training. So those weeks off, uh, which obviously when I was younger, I would not take, we might have a week off, but I would train through it because I'd be like, who needs a week off? That's for weak people, you know, like <laughs> I'm too good to take a week off. That's but for the I
0: Americans, was... come on. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I was actually too dumb to take a week off, but now I'm smart <laughs> enough to take weeks off. So uh, it's not about being weak, it's about being smart. So now I'm, I'm smarter and faster. So. <laughs>
2: you're really known for the two distances for the 500 meter and the 1000 meter and uh what I, what I found really interesting watching I, even the lead up to Beijing I mean you were probably among you know a handful of athletes uh that had the most attention you know from the media going into the games and I felt like so much attention was on the 500 meter for you when really when you look back in retrospect I mean the 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 margin of success you had in 500 meter versus a thousand meters it's minimal you know like you were Killing it in both just slightly better in 500 meter. Uh, So I guess kind of what happened is that there were so many expectations for you meddling in the 500 meter that Canada was like, Oh, well, we really thought that was going to be it. And then it was like a pleasant surprise with a 1000 meter. I mean, do do you have a preferred distance? Did you (coughs) tend to focus on one more or
1: the other, or is it basically, you know, you give it the exact same amount for both? Um, you know, my preferred distance is probably a thousand meters, but, I realize I'm better at the 500. And um, I take a lot of pride in being good in the thousand because it was not always the case. Some years when I was younger, I was quite good at the 500 and quite bad at the thousand, or not even close to two medals, you know? And it took a lot of hard work to understand how to race it. And it's not as natural for me. Like what's natural for me in skating is a fast start you know a fast lap pure power and thousand meters yeah this helps but you got to keep it up for one more lap and this is where well this is my weakness still it's always going to be my weakness and this is where i lose ranking because i'm almost always first in the after 600 meters you know with <laughs> one lap to go in a thousand but before you know five ten years ago i would Be good in the 600 but my last lap would be so bad that I would drop out completely from the medals and even top 10. And I've trained hard but smart and realized what was working in training for me. And now I'm able to to put together a good thousand, which is, as I said to me, like, you know, I was fourth at the Olympics in the 500 that was a huge disappointment uh obviously because I, I was hoping to win medals i was i won the world championship the year before i finished first overall in world cup rank uh, ranking last season during like the olympic season so i've been a mainstay on the podium like of course 500 meter is the most unpredictable distance because it's shorter and you know i missed out a medal by three hundreds of a second that's mm-hmm. I think a third of the time it takes you to um, close and open your eyes. So it's to blink. So it's, <laughs> it's uh, when you put it this way, it's not, <laughs> this, it's not a, a letdown performance, but it's a letdown not being on the podium, but then winning a medal in a, in a thousand finishing second, I think it makes me a lot more happy to think about my Olympics than if I had switched those results around because second in the 500 would have been seen as, you know, just doing the job. And thousand would have been seen as uh, close crap like I didn't make it but now it's like a, a failure for huge disappointment but bouncing back from that adversity and winning a medal in an event where it wasn't always easy for me in some years I was you know 35th in the world and. The last three years, I figured it out, but before that, it was harder for me. But now I, I know I can skate a good one. But it was still a surprise to—I don't think a lot of people would have predicted a medal for me in a thousand. So it makes me very proud to how I handled—I handled the the few days after the 500 where I was disappointed. That's and if well, I had won know? the medal in the 500, I would have just been—I would probably probably would have been disappointed about not winning gold, you know, like, and winning silver in the thousand after everything, it totally felt like a gold medal. Like I was probably as happy as the guy as Thomas Kroll who, uh, who won the thousand. I love, I love hearing that, which I was, I was going to ask
0: just quickly on the 500. I mean, was it a false start, Laurent? Like, do you think that first one, I mean, I, I just, I uh, uh, got It's been I, six months honestly, now, so I, you can I, speak the I, truth.
1: <laughs> honestly, I don't see it. I, I think, I think we've seen, people be given uh well not be given a false start for more movement you know like it's impossible to be absolutely still obviously we're not statues we're human and i feel like if you watch slow mo of uh, slow motions of uh, every start at the olympics there's probably a lot of skaters who were moving more than me and and were given a false start but at the same time we're not given a false start sorry and at the same time um i don't want to I'm saying that because you asked and I'm just being honest, but I don't want to use it as an excuse, Um, you know, like uh, Morishige, the Japanese who finished third, he had a false start in his race as well. And he was just the race before me, same lane, uh, if I recall as myself, no, 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 not not, not same lane, but he was given a false start and he still beat me, you know, like a false start is bad, but it's not a death sentence. You, You can still win a race with a false start. We've seen it many times. And I was just not good enough, and of course the false start didn't help. But I could have raced better, which which is why I take. So there, there's, it's on me, you know, it's on me to skate better. And in the thousand, while I was able to do that, so it, it was a it was a good way to end the Olympics.
2: And you know, you you went from Sochi just missing it to Pyeongchang missing it, and then you missed the 500, and you finally get it in the silver medal. Like you said, it feels like a gold medal and everything. We always like to find out though. I mean, do you have a special place? You keep your medal, particularly this one. I mean, one that you really waited your entire career. I mean, a decade of your life to get, I mean, is, is it just shoved into a sock drawer? Do you have it uh, on display somewhere?
1: Uh, It's not on display. It's just in the living room because when, um, when people want to see it, I want it to be close and not have to look to find it. But it's actually funny because in um, April, you know, like I was back from the season in March and in April we had a, big party with a lot of my friends like retired friends we had a, a race for fun where we all raced at five thousand meters which went horribly for me they almost all beat me <laughs> even though they're all retired for many years from skating and then we had a big party at my place and um you know medal is in a case and the case is just besides the television on the, on the kind of a, a shelf and one of the guys just had his beer sitting on it not knowing <laughs> it was my olympic medal just put <laughs> it on it and I just ripped into him being like really mad but I was not mad at all I was just playing but you he, he felt so bad after but I was just kidding I really did not care I, th- I just thought it was funny you know like it's the medal represents something but the medal is just actually a piece of of well it's pure silver actually the Olympic medal I was going to say piece of iron it's not it's pure silver but you know like it's just a medal to me I know what it represents I know what I put into to get it and I know I have one so I the, the actual medal to me is just a medal like I, I know what i did i don't need to, to show it to anybody i i know deep down i did it
0: because the real prize was being Dwen, Dwen that you got bugger the medal yeah. you got a being Dwen because Dwen they were sold out <laughs> oh, yeah. everywhere you got the most prized thing in beijing
1: we're still yeah looking exactly for them. <laughs> and i made the i made the mistake of not buying one early in the games because we, we arrived at the games really really early and um I went into the shop and I saw it and I didn't think it would be this famous so and my wife is just throwing it to me. Oh, yeah, there bing we go! No, no, yes, yeah. is that our first <laughs> Dwen everything? Everything?
0: No, we had yeah. we had it before with with Ali and Matt, but this is just even oh, better. Yeah. Like it's you know, yeah, yeah, it's
1: yeah. just And i, I the silver being Dwen Dwen, not, dwen. not a bronze <laughs> being Dwen Dwen. Yeah, because the like, I mean, I think they were they were putting people in jail for buying it and reselling it, but it was <laughs> worth so much money. That I mean, I might have tried it, I don't know, but. Um, so and then they were gone so I regretted not buying one but then I won one so it's even better you got and it's the best one it has the whole oh band.
0: look at that Bing yeah my dwind daughter dwind went on, it on a wreath I brought it back <laughs> yeah, yeah oh we Sell have that, that. Yeah. <laughs> well what's the price going for now Ben and I are looking for one how much have we got in our pockets right now Colin quick let's bid for it you can have the silver medal I want being Dwenduin yeah <laughs> Uh, You you know, Laura, we have a final (laughs) set of
2: questions we go through with all the athletes, which we'll get to in a second. But just before we get to that, um, I have to ask, I mean, the sponsorship that's really come out of the last two Olympics for Canadian athletes is insane. And uh, you are lucky enough. Evan Dunphy was Mr. Kraft Dinner in the Summer Games. You're lucky enough to be Mr. Peanut Butter (laughs) (laughs) during the Winter Olympics. I mean, all the the craft uh peanut butter that you could eat i mean is that the deal is it uh, you know you shoot us a couple of little videos you bake a couple
1: of dishes and then you got it for life I mean, <laughs> tell us a little about the, the craft sponsorship that was that was a fun experience it was my like we had a overnight shoot um at the in a house they rented where we shot scenes uh uh, because of the lighting, they didn't do it at my place. They had, they had to rent a place and like, it was dark and they were faking being in the morning with lights and, uh, it was a fun experience. And then we headed over to the oval where we skated and and shot scenes and the locker room and everything, uh, up until 7am. So it took like 12 hours overnight. Um, it was my first time doing something like that. It was a really, really nice experience. People like the staff was lovely. Um they said i was a I was a good actor. I don't know. I felt like I was doing my best kind of weird I, I actually liked the lines in English better than French. I thought they were more natural but um <laughs> it was really really awesome and I was lucky enough to be able to uh, have my brother there with me because they needed um like a body double uh, for a a fall a potential fall a scene where I would fell on the ice and they didn't oh. want me to fall obviously a, a month and a half before the olympics so I had my brother come over and he. Just hit the deck for a couple uh, takes, and they didn't even put it in the commercials, we just, just did that no some time <laughs> at the end. but uh, you know we had a lot of fun, and um, I ate a lot like I, I ate too much peanut butter during the shot because I needed to <laughs> eat it and then say my line. Enough that I didn't really eat any for a couple of weeks after because I was, <laughs> <laughs> I was too much. But now I'm back. I'm back uh, on the diet. I can eat it again. I'm fine.
0: Perfect. <laughs> nice. Wow. I love hearing those stories about like what you get from that. But I mean, thanks, bro, for you know literally falling over for me. That's, that's yeah. a nice thing that he did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Before. Exactly.
1: He had a lot of fun doing it. I think they, they like he had a stunt coach. Like you, you had an actual <laughs> coach telling him how to fall, and um and I can't remember the guy's name, but he played the. Um, you know, in the, one of the James Bond when they're skiing down a hill? Mm-hmm. Like oh, GoldenEye, yeah. maybe? He played yeah. one of the guys skiing down the hill shooting like at James Bond. So that's... Possibly like, words are enough. Oh, yeah, was a lot. coach <laughs> have done that, Skane. yeah.
0: Well we, wow. we do a we do a James Bond podcast, funnily enough, Laurent. So you know you just you you <laughs> if you got his number, we'll, interview we'll I've him. got James Bond behind me, uh there. So, oh yeah, uh, I see
1: it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's um wow. That's... I can try to
1: find his number. I can start I can try to find his number remember my brother's
0: yeah, we would always love to meet someone who's trying to shoot at James Bond. I mean, that's that's, yeah, all yeah, yeah, that's
1: you know, Yeah, that's so. an awesome thing to say. To, I've been in the James Bond film for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
2: now, our final set of questions, what we do is uh, Team Canada did this on their website for both Rio and Pyeongchang. So uh, you may have filled one of these out before, but we couldn't find you on there. But basically, it's some sports-related, some non-sports-related questions, and they get them to fill it out in their own handwriting. There's some pictures, which we've had, what, two, three athletes now
0: do pictures, Ben? Oh, I think at least four now and all winter athletes. So <laughs> yeah, so um, yeah. you want
2: to draw us a picture to one of these, you know, we'll, we'll we'll leave that in your ball in your court. But uh we're we're gonna use um somebody I'm hoping you're familiar with Danny Morrison here. So this is his questionnaire yeah. that you're gonna get and we'll see um uh, what what your answers are in comparison to his. Uh starting off with your favorite Olympic moment is.
1: Um well, it's a bit selfish, but I would have to say my own mental now. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I love that. We love it when people we always answer enc- their own.
0: We encourage people like, hey, answer yourself. Why not?
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: definitely. Uh, we already know the answer to this one. As a kid, your favorite sports team was? Uh, as a kid, Montreal Canadiens. Yeah, when I was a kid. Oh,
2: nice. Uh, if you could be any superhero, who would you be? Mm, that's a good
1: one. Uh uh, that's a really good one. <laughs> my wife just said something. She's getting help. She said rubble, rubble from the Paw Patrol because it's my daughter's favorite. <laughs> oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> Keep it Canadian. Why not? <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah, yeah, exactly. I had that yeah, yeah.
1: Exactly. Yeah,
0: that's right. Wow. Okay. I need to start watching Paw Patrol clearly. Um, <laughs> if uh, So, your favorite music artists are? Uh, favorite
1: music artists? Um, I. Would have maybe or Rage Against the Machine. Ooh, oh yes, nice. yeah. like that one. I like I like the uh, the
0: discrepancy here between uh, Denny's choices, Metallica, and Martin Garrix. So you couldn't get pretty much opposite ends of the spectrum of music. Yeah, well,
1: he likes many different things, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: I'm gonna guess that peanut butter is not gonna be the answer to this one. But if you could eat one food for the rest of your life, what would it be?
1: It's hard to beat uh, anything. Maple syrup. Ooh, oh yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, very I miss very difficult. Maple yeah. syrup. Oh,
0: so the best in the world. Uh favorite place to compete is? Um TF and then uh, here in Ven in the Netherlands. Nice. Can I just on that with the Netherlands? I always like to ask this our long track speed skaters. What the hell is going on there? Why do they like speed skating so much? Like seriously, no, like know. A, nothing freezes <laughs> in the winter. Like when it freezes,
1: <laughs> when it freezes once every five years, they go crazy, but it doesn't freeze anymore. So Thank God for indoor Ovals, I guess, but I, I don't know. They just love it. I guess they have zero hills or anything. So they don't know ski. They don't know. Um, so they have it's to just so random skate, guess, of all but, the
0: countries to be good at. Like, I'm not disrespecting the Dutch, but I mean, that'd be like if you said Australia was, you know, fantastic at, I don't know, ice hockey. We're not good at ice hockey, but like, it's, it's random. Like, I don't, I don't know. I know it's it. random.
1: I really know it's random, but they're really, really, really good at it and they love it. So yeah. it's, um, there's no feeling like skating there, you know, like, over ten thousand people going crazy for your races it's uh there there's no place quite like it uh, anywhere else in the world uh next one one thing I've always wanted to do is i always wanted to I feel like everything I wanted to do I've done it like I wanted to <laughs> skate while having a family like even more than Olympic medal that was my dream so uh my daughter's three my wife is pregnant with our second so it's Ah, been been living my dream thank you living my dream every day right now so uh, that's what i've always wanted to do and
0: will it continue will it be a speed skating family like you know third generation (laughs) generation.
1: yeah we just signed up our daughter for for skating uh she did gymnastics last year and then uh, she, she was asking for it, so we signed her up for it. So I just hope she has fun. I, I don't care if she's good or not. I just want her to have fun and uh, work hard, like my parents did for us.
0: Good answer. I like that. Um, your favorite thing to do in the summer is?
1: Uh, play golf. Play golf. Uh, yeah, just go golf with my brother and friends.
0: Beautiful. Potential Olympic Change there, you get good enough in golf. We could uh, Oof, see you in 10 years time
2: just, in I, I, I very much doubt it.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh
2: you, what is your favorite
1: movie? Uh favorite movie Empire Strikes Back.
0: Ah, nice good big stars fans. Yes, I like that. Uh your favorite place to visit in Canada is
1: um we went to Quebec City is beautiful, but I can't really say I'm visiting because it's where we live, right? And so I would have to say um, Les Îles de la Madeleine. It's an um, island uh, offshore from, like, you have to go to Prince Edward Island at the very end and then take the the boat for the five hours and then you're there. Is that the one that, like,
0: France? No, that's I think Saint
1: Pierre and Miquelon. I think no, I think. Uh, no it's a uh, it's part of Quebec right and okay. um, but it's uh it's incredible like we went there this summer with my my wife has family there so we were lucky enough to have a place to stay because it's crazy expensive and and hard to find an actual hotel in the summer and uh it's it's insane like it's unbelievable to think that there's a place like this in Quebec you feel like you're you know in in the Re- Dominican Republic or something like it's beautiful wow. beaches it's incredible to go there
0: I loved it when I lived in Canada finding out that yeah there's that island somewhere off the coast of Canada which is basically France that it's yeah, not yeah, exactly. part of Canada it's... which I was yeah. like that existed <laughs> that sounds really cool. Um your favorite cartoon to watch growing up was
1: Um depends on like I watched Pokemon when I was young Dragon Ball yes. but I think I think I watched <laughs> yeah Dragon Ball Naruto maybe and Pokemon Japanese like uh, manga anime yeah
0: I, I just realized, Colin. I chimed in. This you asked the last few questions. Sorry, Colin. I was
2: just saying my, my wife is thirty three years old, and she still will watch Pokemon and Dragon Ball over any other choice. What do you watch? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't Pokemon get old, yeah, it's, uh, it's still good.
1: It's still you good.
0: You got to catch them all. It takes a while to catch them all, Colin. Come on. <laughs> it
1: takes a while because they, there used to be one hundred and fifteen. There's like a thousand now, so it exactly, takes a, it takes a long while. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep
0: yep isn't there an ice cream one like i stopped after about 250 and then i was like now i look
2: yeah, at like, do, why is there like do. an I'm ice not up cream to date anymore <laughs> yeah uh if you had to do karaoke what would you sing
1: uh if you were there you would regret me singing uh, <laughs> the actual worst well, there goes that segment ever then cross that off the list colin uh. oh yeah 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 never gonna give you up oh, oh yeah. <laughs> nice. yeah yeah yeah
0: good answer <laughs>
1: uh last one uh if
2: you could be an olympian in any sport other than your own what would it be
1: like because i like the sport or because i have an actual chance of making it because that's two different <laughs> either Five. give us both if you have them. <laughs> um best chance of making it i would say probably bobsleigh you know i can probably mm. get up to 220 pounds run pretty fast and powerful i feel like i would have a small chance of making it And if I could choose my sport, golf, because like nice weather, you know good salary you can pay until you're like a 75 years old you know like it's like the dream life so golf is what i would want but uh, there's again there's zero chance of that happening <laughs> Solid
0: answers. i like that i like that which i mean also yeah. with the whole controversy happening with that greg norman stealing all the people lots of money so yeah geez, yeah maybe i, I can
1: make a... the pga now because they have uh there's not as many golfers anymore I think we've all in got a
0: chance now they're all going off to make millions so we can just yeah exactly like, oh, Professional Rex exactly. won the British Open.
1: You know, that like,
0: <laughs> why not? Uh, before I let us go, Lauren, um, social media, website, anything if people want to sort of follow your journey on towards Milan, uh, anywhere people can check you out?
1: Yeah, they can check me out in uh, my Instagram page mostly. I've uh, got Twitter as well, but I barely use it. Mostly Instagram would be best. And uh, I accept friends, uh, friend requests on uh, Facebook as well if they want to chat me up.
2: Hey, you know what? We, uh, we, Loved having you on here today. I mean, uh, You're one of the athletes that coming out of Beijing that I was most excited. Maybe we can get them on the show. Uh, but I think the most exciting thing for me is that a lot of the athletes we interview, we always are like, you know, we hope to see you again in another four years. And like, yeah, hopefully. And then two weeks later, they announce their retirement. But with you, <laughs> I'm, I'm getting a positive feeling that you really want to be there in the next couple of games. Oh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Really
1: the, goal, the goal is not to like four more years is a given according to my health like if if i stay healthy obviously but four more years is a given i would love to do eight more even so uh, you'll see oh, me uh, if i'm still good you'll see me in italy for sure
0: and then hopefully in next Vancouver. time you get the memo to wear the right t-shirt as well thanks laurent like i mean we're a bit disappointed <laughs> you didn't join us but yeah, I mean, hey, exactly. this is second time lucky
1: i didn't get the memo yeah i should have uh, <laughs> next time next time i'll get one next time Awesome. We're looking forward
2: to talking to you in 2026 and then hopefully in 2030 on Home Soil. Cross our fingers.
1: Absolutely. It's been a real pleasure, guys. Thank you very much.
2: And thank you again to Laurent and uh, Laurent's people for setting this up. And uh, everybody who's still listening right now and everybody who is Currently looking up on YouTube, the commercial that never aired, because that's all I want. We asked all these questions about James Bond, you know, and it never occurred to me, it's like, is there a director's cut that you could forward to us? Because I want to see this.
0: I'm also intrigued that people while they're on YouTube watch the video version because they're not getting the joke about the uh, the clothing. Like Colin and I literally I showed know. up today wearing the same T-shirt. So <laughs> yeah. um, I hope if you d- do find it on YouTube and you're just laughing at the fact, like, what are they doing? Do they have like a uniform on off the podium now? <laughs> so, Next time we'll miss them we'll I'm wearing the black and gold Canadian T-shirt. You yeah. wear your other one.
2: Yeah, we need to start coordinating this. We got to mail one to Jared too. I mean, I'm sure he'll be back at some point. <laughs> when he <laughs> shows up were. for an
0: interview, lazy. <laughs> exactly. Uh. Yeah.
2: Jared, if you, any, anytime you want to pop in for one of these interviews, no response. Radio silence. <laughs> yep.
0: Just, just living his best life, owning his house, working a job with money. Good for him.
2: Oh, scumbag. Uh, so anyways... We got tons of interviews coming up. I mean, the schedule lined up right now just for what we haven't even recorded yet is insane. Some that we're getting close to nailing down, which I'm very, very excited about. I know you're very excited about too, but uh, technically, who is our next interview? Do we have that yet?
0: Well, I've decided in the last couple of weeks, Colin Hilding, (laughs) that I'm not actually just going to tell. I'm going to tease. I'm going to make people guess who these people are and watch our social media. So next week... We have a, an athlete from a sport we've never had an athlete on before. It's brand new, never covered this sport. And the hint I will give you, she is a two-time Olympian, played in two Olympics, that means, and her sport involves a ball and a basket. Now guess the guess what that might be i don't know but uh i was really hopeful for ski
2: ballet until you (laughs) threw that loophole (laughs) there (laughs) but i think i'm starting to piece it together in my head so yeah always good to check off new sports we're gonna be checking off a lot of new sports right yeah, yeah, we maybe. are.
0: We got we got a bunch coming up, and I will say also that in the coming weeks as well. Uh, obviously, we had uh, Jason Richard Richardson the other week. We discovered he was born in Hobart, so our first ever, I guess, Tasmanian on the show that isn't me. But we will have our first Tasmanian athlete. I mean, Richard an athlete, but never went to an Olympics. Our first Tasmanian Olympian. Uh, on in a couple of weeks who so I'm very excited for as well. Unfortunately she's from the wrong half of the state but whatever, we'll, we'll give her a pass for that but uh, no, we've got some great ones coming up and of course we're only a uh, few weeks away from the World Cup as well which uh, obviously we're going to do a bit of extensive coverage which I am so pumped for Colin because I again I keep talking about how I, I know you and Jarrett aren't exactly Mr. and Mr. World Cup but uh, I, I'm pumped to see your reactions to watching this tournament because uh, particularly <clears throat> with Canada in it now, you are going to be paying a little bit more attention to it than you would have four years ago.
2: Yeah, I think the only World Cup that I, I caught little bits and pieces some over the years. The only one I remember like really tuning into was '94 because it was just it was so huge here on this side of the world. But uh, this one's going to dwarf it all because Canada's there. And yes, this is you are first time. Uh, at least that I have been present enough to know what was going on. You were alive when
0: they last I was alive, made it, but you yeah. wouldn't have remembered it. I've never been alive exactly. when Canada's made a World Cup. So uh, I've, I've hung out in one of their uh, living rooms and seen merchandise and mm-hmm. worn the jersey from 86, but I've never been alive when they've made it. So, you know, go figure. So, yeah, I'm 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 pumped. It's, it's exciting. Uh, obviously, Australia's there. I am uh, keep mentioning it, how I will go for Germany over both, but then we can explain that on our preview episode. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm excited for us to cover a World Cup because, as mm-hmm. I've said in the last few weeks, it is technically the biggest sporting event in the world. It is technically bigger yeah. than the Olympics. So uh, it's only fitting that we should cover it.
2: So interviews, World Cups, and possibly ranking Olympic logos. We got so much. We did on that our a couple plate. of weeks.
0: <laughs> ago. I'm sure that you listened to that clearly, Colin. But I did listen right. to it. I was People should listen for it to that what- now because it is, of course, <laughs> available. Uh, but you know, right you know what's now. the problem?
2: You know, I forgot about that because I was alive for it, but I wasn't present for it. That was that is my correct. Issue.
0: Colin's got this mind body <laughs> thing that he's got going on recently, which uh, you, you should. We should do an episode on that alone because it's very smart. Uh,
2: look at all the exciting things we have going on so uh you can subscribe to us and uh follow us and uh, if you're just listening to this right now check out youtube where you can see ben and i matching um we're in the same outfit <laughs> and uh i'm sure we will find many more outfits to match going forward um you're gonna have to remind me we end these who do we give our shout out to anymore the
0: birmingham bull shout out to the birmingham oh, bull that's
2: right yeah. so um and then we go left, right? Yeah, so you say, I left Left to go, shout out
0: to the Birmingham Bull, my name is Colin, this is off the podium, and remember, go left, there you go, you can use that. And a
2: shout out to the Birmingham Bull, my name is Colin, (laughs) and just remember, go left.